Verulam Sports. Hello and welcome again to Verulam Sport Podcasting. I tell you, we're feasting on rugby at the moment, uh, both here in Europe and down under. And to uh, give us a few morsels of his rugby insights, once again, it's the ever erudite voice of the OAs, Brian Quinn. Welcome back to Verulam Sports, Brian. How's those things? Thanks, Tony. Yep, absolutely fine. It's been uh, an interesting week, hasn't it, rugby-wise? It truly has. It truly has. Goodness gracious. Um, Let's start with the game before we talk about uh, something that I think you may have teased to touch there, Mr. Quinn, like the uh, media pro that you are. Um, well, obviously, we spoke about New Zealand's uh, losing uh, two straight games. Losing, um, there was almost a, um, you know, a, a discrepancy in the force when Argentina shocked New Zealand a fortnight ago. Um, but they weren't in any mood to lose three straight, were they? And comprehensively overcame Argentina last weekend. 38-0, five tries. Uh, I guess uh, status quo restored, Mr. Quinn? Uh, yeah, status quo possibly. It's uh, a natural reaction to something like that for a proud side like New Zealand who have had such a wonderful record. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they maintain it right the way through, and in, indeed right the way through to to what to the uh, the next World Cup. Uh, they've been beaten by Ireland. They've been been beaten by England. They've been beaten by Australia. They've been beaten by Argentina. Uh, intriguing. I don't think that happened in their lifetime ever before in such a short period of time. Do you think accordingly that some of that luster of the All Blacks uh, is it's by no means eroded, but it may have taken a little bit of a hit? These great sporting teams and all, the New Zealand's record against all world nations is up there with the finest in kind of sports winning uh, ratios all time across all sports. But we, there was the Tiger Woods factor, wasn't there? There was the, the Fergie time factor previously. And I always think that that silver fern factor has an element. So do you think there are a few chinks beginning to emerge there? No, I don't. Uh, the New Zealanders are human, like uh, everybody else, hopefully, on this planet. What happens is that the rest of us have to aspire to what New Zealand have led for so long. Yep. Now, we, we are doing that. The rest of the world, uh, in certain limited quantities, is doing that from time to time and in bits and pieces. It's not consistent yet. It would be intriguing to see what would happen if England were playing New Zealand on Sunday. Um, I, I would hesitate to actually say which side was going to win that, but I rather think New Zealand would fancy their chances. So it's a matter of something which, uh, something which you can depend upon, and you can always, uh, in the short term and the long term, depend upon the silver fern. Now they do have off days. It happened in was it 2012 when uh, they they came to Twickenham, and. They, they were a good side when England beat them at the last World mm -hmm. Cup. Uh, England were better on the day, but it's a matter of on the day. Uh, England have that to live up to, not New Zealand. So it, let's see what happens over the next few years. It's a brilliant comment, Brian. And it's kind of, I guess it comes down to what one expects. Because 
in this, you know, this, this, there was criticisms of Ian Foster. There was pressure. They responded brilliantly. And in what feels, in relative terms, like a kind of mediocre Tri-Nations affair for them, they sit atop the table uh, with two wins from four games. And barring an absolute freak fest <laughs> on Saturday, they will be champions yet again. So, again, whilst there does feel like those two defeats uh, were setbacks and perhaps a touch of the luster fades maybe just a touch they're still going to be champs at the end of this season so there we go um brian i mentioned and, and i think you teased at the start um don't want to get too political because obviously you know we're a sports show but um the argentinian team have done their kind of rugby version of the hokey cokey with the captain a great player pablo matera uh, out and then back in, and I'm sure they're shaking it all about. Uh, he's reinstated a skipper alongside Guido Petit and uh, Santiago Cecina. They were all suspended um, following slightly less uh, pleasant uh, Twitter activity from many, many years ago, over six years ago, I think. Um, Brian, do you think they were right to remove and if they were right to remove are they wrong to have them available for the game against Australia this weekend it, it seems like a bit of an excuse on behalf of the Argentinian authorities to pillory a man indeed three men and to say well you know they've apologized so that's all right it's not all right but it's retrospectively not all right mm. now you can't fix history. It's there. Yeah. Uh, it's something which happened. There are things which I did in my life which I'm deeply ashamed of even yet. Uh, I was never put in jail for any of it because it wasn't that serious, but I still feel uh, internally the, the shame uh, of certain actions that, that I've done. Now, there's very few of us without that sort of history. Uh, these three men, have they led exemplary lives still? Uh, I don't know. I don't know them well enough to, to do that. But do you take do you take everything that somebody has done in his past and say, ah, hang on, you've lost the captaincy again because of this, and then the following week, do it again, do it again. Does he keep on apologizing? Does that make mm -hmm. it all right? No, it doesn't. So I... I, I don't know. If, if they feel that this man is xenophobic, then remove him. Um, that's a personal view. It's nothing to do with the radio show or the club. Sure. It, it's just me. Um, it, it's a tricky question, and it's one that we can only answer personally. So there is this man. He is a brilliant rugby captain mm -hmm. and a great exponent of the arts. Uh, he is not so good when it comes to interpersonal and international relations. No. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he's certainly not going to be on anybody's, uh, uh, you know, de a, a politician of the year list and things of that nature. But there we go. Setting it aside, the facts are what they are now. Um, and he is skippering the side. Again, it's more than fair to say, um, setting aside all the other matters. And I'm sure, as you rightly say, Brian, everybody will have their views upon it. Um, he is indisputably a mighty fine uh, flanker and a great leader of men. And Argentina, I'm sure, are delighted to have him available for an interesting fixture against Australia. They played out a 15-all draw quite recently. 
Um, on the back of that phenomenal uh, win, Argentina's first over New Zealand in 30 attempts uh, in the previous week before that. So Australia, Argentina, it's almost the curtain warmer for an epic weekend of rugby. Uh, unlikely as it is that either of these two teams will be able to overhaul the massive points uh, differential that New Zealand hold at the moment. It's still going to be a competitive game of rugby, I think. And I just wonder, Brian, would you make Australia favourites here? Or can you see Argentina doing a New Zealand and bouncing back this week? Well, if Argentina don't learn from what they learned last week uh, and bounce back and have that at the forefront of their minds for every second of the match, uh, then it, w- it would be foolish of them. I think Australia are in some danger here of a loss. Uh, but however, uh, Australia are mercurial. Yep. They can produce anything out of the bag at any time. So I don't know. It'll be a fascinating game and really exciting to watch. And once again, from my point of view, um, again, just setting aside the um, political machinations, I am still over the moon, um, last weekend aside, with how competitive Argentina have been in this Tri-Nations. Let's not forget, they played no rugby for over 400 days before they entered the fray. Um, and a win uh, against New Zealand, their first in their history, a draw against Australia. Um, and, you know, it's important, I think, for global rugby that this Argentina team is equipped, ready and eager to really punch a, a, their weight, I think, these days at the big boy table. Well, if you look at some of the parallels you can draw between Argentina in the Southern Hemisphere and Italy in the Northern. Both of them newcomers, relatively speaking, to their relative competitions. Uh, Italy have been given the chance, I think it's 20 plus years now since they've been members of what is now the Six Nations. And they haven't won a match there in five years. Argentina, newcomers, uh, certainly not 20 years, not even 10, not even five. Uh, and they have punched a hole mm-hmm. in in that uh, armour of the All Blacks. Now, they have to keep it up. It'll be interesting to see if they can take the chance where Italy could be said not to have done so. Here, here. We'll watch this space. It's going to be a fascinating affair this weekend. I'd certainly favour Australia, actually. Uh, but, you know, this Argentina team, just rule them out at your peril. So moving again, keeping it on for last week before we build up to uh, a thrilling uh, weekend of rugby from the Northern Hemisphere perspective. Um, it was the final group games in the Autumn Nations Cup. And England, as we suspected, got a seventh straight win against Wales, uh, 24 points to 13. Um, again, can't fault seven straight wins, really. But this was a Welsh team we've discussed under a little bit of pressure. And I thought they put up an admirable fight. But really, for me, there was only ever one victor in this game. Yeah, uh, you can say it was one step forward for Wales and one step back for England in many ways. Uh, a kick fest par excellence uh, in, in the press today. You, you've got England players who are defending that. Uh, Eddie Jones set it up, so he's going to defend it. Uh, this will not be followed by almost anybody again from the Southern Hemisphere. They take a different viewpoint. They'd rather see the ball in hand because if you kick the thing away, you're in danger. Well, you, you're by definition giving it to the opposition. Uh, it depends what happens then, what they do with it. If they kick it back to you, well, big deal. Everybody stands there like us forwards. We stand in the middle watching the ball go over our heads and uh, see what happens. 
Nobody seems to be refereeing uh, the, the offside rule when a winger chases up a kick, uh, and so often these days he's in front of the kicker. Now, maybe that would have a difference? I don't know. Nigel Owens is also in the press today to say that uh, things like the caterpillar ruck should not necessarily be outlawed, but instead of there being five seconds to use the ball, you've got only yeah. three. Um, I, I honestly that, think that, that whatever we can do to kind of speed up uh, the game, but one thing I'm slightly aware of, I also have a bit of a pet peeve about the kind of constant changes, rule changes, which don't seem to actually add up to anything. It just feels like a tweak for tweaks. And, yes, indeed. So, yes, uh, we'll see how it evolves. Um, but there was a step forward for Wales, though, uh, uh, um, Brian. There were never likely to beat England who are on this run of form um, but again sometimes when you're, your back is against the wall you look to character don't you and then you can maybe build upon that yeah I was very pleased with the boy Botham he stood up and was counted in against possibly the best back row in the world which is a fascinating thing to think of remember just recently England were, had a dearth of number sevens in particular and now you can pick any one of six which is a wonderful way that the game does develop. England should use the pace. They start this week with uh, two generic wingers uh, of startling lightning pace. Yep. Uh, and whatever France put up against them, uh, I really hope that they use that. Get the ball out quickly, create overlaps when you can, and put the speedy men through. Uh, I, I'd love to see that. This kicking duel, I know I've harped on about it and other people, it, it doesn't, I, I don't want to pay money to watch something like that. Um, I, I appreciate there are tactical and indeed strategic reasons for doing it, but let's, let's see them use the, the power that they've got in the forwards uh, and the speed that they've got in the backs. And they've got a very decent set of halfbacks as well, so it should be all points up for England. You mentioned then we'll build up to it in just a matter of moments, uh, but France um, topped their group. Uh, winning almost inevitably against Italy, 36 points to five. Um, we'll talk a lot more about France, but once again, Italy really can't buy a win, can they, at the moment? I mean, I know they got one by default against uh, a Fiji team who couldn't play. Um, it's tough times. We've, we've documented an awful lot, Brian, but what bar one or two players who, you know, are... In, the, in contention for the, amongst the best in their position. It's tough to see much light at the end of this Italian tunnel, rugby-wise, at the moment. Yeah, it's gone beyond it being a management problem. They, they've had enough very decent managers for the last 20 years and, and then some before that. Uh, it's just not for whatever reason, and we, can't, we haven't got the time on the programme to go through it now, but for whatever reason, it's not happening with Italy. They need, they need to retrench. They, they need to sit back, take notice, and think, well, let's start from somewhere else, like a Tier 2 in mm -hmm. the European system. Oh, and I feel, I think my, I feel myself idea. raising a glass and saying, here, here, once again, Mr. Quinn. Um, moving then to the final fixture of last weekend's uh, rounds, um, Ireland's get a win against Georgia. Um, but goodness me, this was a Georgia team who kind of really came to the table. And um, the uh, man who knows a thing or two about centre play, the great Irish centre, uh, Bollard himself, Brian O'Driscoll, was massively impressed uh, with Kvesladzi, apologies for the pronunciation there, and his kind of solo efforts and also his efforts in defence. They've nerfed a gem there in Georgia. And once again, in terms of 
spirit and competition and drive, as well as a fair degree of flair, they really did come to the table, I thought, Georgia against Ireland. Yes, they did. They, they're prepared to learn. They have the enthusiasm of the newcomers as well. And they're very excited to be at the top table. And I don't, I don't blame them for that. But they're still behind all of this. They, yeah. are, they are well financed. And there's a tremendous amount of enthusiasm politically and sportingly uh, in the country for, for the game itself. Uh, so it, it can only bode well for Georgia's intentions. Uh, I'd love to see them there. Uh, again, we have this European thing with Tier 2 and Tier, tier 1 in, mm. in the Six Nations, if you will. Uh, we will see if, there, if people are prepared to bite the bullet and say, right, there's going to be a change now. So there's going to be demotion, promotion. Look to your laurels. Once again, I second that motion. And we built up the first start for Billy Burns last week at 10. Um, what were your thoughts on his efforts? I know um, Sexton returns this weekend. Um, I think maybe the future Burns. Did he do enough to suggest to you that he has a bona fide international quality career ahead of him? Well, he has, but it was workmanlike, I thought. Uh, whatever I know about number 10 play, I'm a two, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he, things did not need to be wonderful for him. He did, he did fine. Uh, you couldn't say he had a dreadful game because, of course, he didn't. What he'd be like against uh, absolutely top-form opposition has yet to be, uh, yet to be looked at. And, and that'll be the acid test when that happens, and that won't happen until the spring. Yeah, absolutely. Watch this space. And uh, still a f little bit of uh, pressure beginning to build on Farrell's men, but I hope they keep the faith. Uh, obviously, you know, Messrs. Farrell and Cat, two great rugby men, two great rugby minds. I still think in this transition phase that Ireland are going through, they do have two good men at the helm. So we shall see how it develops. Now, again, into this very weekend, Brian, the final uh, rounds where we will all be decided. Um, and Fiji enter the fray. Uh, I'm really pleased about this, uh, you know, because we've mentioned it, haven't we? Their, their back division is amongst the finest, uh, you know, on the, in all of the rugby world. They really do have some true, true stars. I suspect this could be a sneaky good game, this one. Um, but, you know, those scintillating Fijian backs, I can't wait to see Rad Radra, the Bristol star, doing his thing alongside Tua Savava and so many others. They're just electrifying, aren't they, with what they're capable of with ball in hand, the Fijians. Yes, it's a natural thing. It's the way they played the game. It's a support game. Uh, the, the, there isn't a huge amount of tight play in it because uh, I, I think tight play perhaps bores some of the South Sea guys. Um, and I can understand why in many ways. They don't have the purism there. What they do want to do is to follow the ball carrier, create space mm -hmm. uh, and go through. The sheer delight with which a, a Fijian crosses the line is, has always been a thing of wonder for me and I, I love it to death. And they want to do that as often as they possibly can. Uh, you won't see them use much of a kicking game, I can promise you that. They're almost the antithesis of Eddie Jones's England, aren't they? But there we go. Uh, it's, as you say, not necessarily Ford play their forte. And it's a rather inexperienced Fijian pack, three debutants across the Ford lineup. Um, there's that old one you and I have mentioned many times about uh, forwards winning the game, backs dictating the scoreline. 
Is there any chance that that could be flipped in this game? Fiji do boast a quite strong record against Georgia. But of course, Georgia are battle-hardened. And as we've discussed, uh, really stood up well against the Irish last week. What's your thoughts, Brian? Georgia will have to do a lot more than they did last week to prevail in this one. Uh, the, the, the frustration which Fiji, Fiji have suffered for this uh, outbreak, which kept them out of the last three games, they will be seething and they will be absolutely dying to showcase their talents. And they only know re really properly one way of doing that. So Georgia have to be on their metal all across the field. Fiji can score from the car park, let alone their own <laughs> line. Brilliantly phrased. I love that, Brian. Um, the, the next game features, again, your island taking on Scotland, who were um, beaten um, last time out by France, although looked competitive. This, I think, is a Scotland team trending up. We've had that conversation. Ireland with a modicum of pressure on them. Uh, I think this is going to be quite a tense affair. Um, just before we analyse it, uh, a big day for Jaco van der Volt, makes his Scottish debut at Fly. Uh, the 26-year-old born in South Africa, qualifies for Scotland through residency, and a big day. And by all accounts, tough tackling, highly regarded Edinburgh star. Um, do you think he's ready for the international arena? Well, I wonder what colour tartan he'd be wearing, actually. <laughs> uh, not sure which of the clans that one is, but uh, I don't think if you asked him about Culloden that he could spell it. But, uh, hey, I, I may be doing him a disservice. Yeah, uh, he, he should well be. I, I think Ireland here, we've talked about it before, I think it's Ireland that could be running into a Celtic storm this time round. Um, and I, I, would, I would be deeply concerned if I was in the Ireland management here because Scotland have had 10 years of frustration. They may well decide to take it out on Ireland tomorrow. And they, from the back, from 15, they are capable of doing so. Their forward pack has been fierier this time out yeah. than the Ireland pack. Uh, so Scotland may have it all over. The, the halfback combinations, uh, lovely skills on both sides, so I don't see anybody having uh, hegemony over either side there. But uh, I, I think Scotland have it to lose. I'm inclined to agree with you, but um, I think Ireland also do a performance. And if, they, if the Irish team click, then we all know what they're capable of. I think it's going to be a compelling game of rugby in this feast of rugby this very weekend. Uh, no Wales doubt. collide against Italy. And we've mentioned Pivex men under pressure. They bring back George North. Um, Tipperick also returns after concussion. He's a, he's a star. Um, but it's a new look front row for the Welsh, Brian. Um, previously, when we were looking for positives from this downtrending uh, Welsh outfit, um, you pointed towards their front three. So weird to me that they make that massive shift in this game, or is this just once again a, a statement that they should and they expect to beat Italy? I, I think it's the latter, Tony. I think they're expecting to beat Italy. Somebody, well, half a century ago, I, I was told by an old stager that uh, if we beat their forwards up, particularly in the tight scrum, and there was lots, lots more scrums in, mm -hmm. in games in, in those days, then our fullback, who knows nothing whatever about foot scrummaging, will think, hey, we're going to have a great day. So there was mor the morale factor there. Uh, nothing has changed, actually. South Africa proved that in the World Cup final Indeed. last year. Nothing has, nothing has changed at all. So if these the new guys in, in the Welsh front row can do the business, fine. You have to be 
a strange shape to be a crop these days. You have to be a giant of a man, but from side to side. Yes. Uh, and if you can do that, uh, and you've got three quarters of a ton at either end of you pushing like crazy, and they know what they're doing, so you have to maintain that. If you can act as a transmission point and put that through your opposite number, there's, there's nothing even brutal about that. You're, you are just maintaining your position and using the weight of the people behind through the guy in front of you. If you can stand stock still for an hour, uh, if you do that properly, then at the end of that time, you have one less person in front of you because he will be, to use a technical term, knackered. Amen. And I tell you what, uh, there ain't nothing finer on planet Earth when you get that to happen. Uh, I'm going to super quickly add it. I'm going to keep it brief because uh, otherwise I get myself ranting. Can we please, for the love of all things holy and sweet, get back to the scrum as a bona fide hooker challenge as well and get those scrum halves feeding it straight? But there we go. I'm, I'm drawing a line under that, Brian, <laughs> for otherwise I shall rant forever and a day. Good Coming back man. to the game in question, Wales versus Italy. George North returns, the Centurion, um, and comes in at centre. He hasn't played there, uh, I think, since 2014, actually, against the Attila Italians. Um, George North obviously has a, had a storied career. Um, your thoughts as him as a centre, not quite his natural position for me. And again, it's tough to see anything other than a Wales victory here, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, there, there's no way I can see it. George North will enjoy himself wherever he is. Uh, he's a generic winger. However, in the centre, he's got a, a huge presence, a tremendous amount of acceleration, uh, uh, and a lot of weight when it comes to it. Yeah. So Italy's back row and Italy's midfield defence are going to have the work cut out to stop him there. He won't be alone. Frankly, I, I would far rather see Liam Williams there, but uh, that, that's not happening. Um, yeah, Wales shouldn't have too much problems in, in beating Italy. They, if Italy have any pride at all, and I know that they have, then they will want to make their presence felt. But I think it'll be for minutes as opposed to the hour and a half that's required. Then we build up then to the big one, the, the final itself. On Sunday, England take on France. Um, we've heaped praise upon France for, for justifiable reasons. We were talking politics of the uh, rugby world. Brian, what's your thoughts on France uh, policy to only enable some of their stars to play three games? Meaning that Galtier and Sean Edwards, that winning tandem that we praise so massively, uh, without 25 truly key players. And if you look at this fact, it does speak volumes. Collectively, Eddie Jones' starting 15 have 813 caps between them. Sean of those 25 uh, players, for, policy, uh, for, for well, policy reasons, France have 68. Bernie Kayser, another lifetime member of the Front Row Union, uh, has described this, therefore, as only possible for England to win gamesmanship there from the previous French captain or do those stark facts speak volumes and will play out thus on Sunday? No, it's not gamesmanship, it's realism. This is what's going to happen. This is the very top end of rugby and you've got France's third 15 against the, certainly the second best side in the world. Yeah. Uh, it remains to be seen if they get any further. So no, uh, it... it in football parlance, it's like Port Vale playing Manchester United 25 years ago. That, sure that would have been incredible. Now, it's, it's also true to say that Port Vale, if things happened 
uh, on the field, then they stood a chance of beating Manchester United. It, it might, strangely enough, have happened. France had no chance whatsoever because they will be out-muscled, out-gunned, out-experienced, if that is indeed a word, mm -hmm. uh, all over the field. Uh, acceleration will be against them, experience, ju just everything. And it's a Twickenham, the cathedral, as the French call it. Um, and with 2,000 fans, obviously it's not going to be a sellout, but we're edging back. It's going to be nice to see a few uh, people actually there. Uh, no doubt a few renditions of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot amongst those 2,000 loyal fans. <laughs> yes, wailing around in the distance. Yeah. <laughs> i tell you what, one of the final points of this big game, because I think you're dead right, Brian. I can only see England winning, uh, given the context. Um, but big day uh, for the Frenchman Baptiste Coulard. It's actually his first international start. Not his debut, his first start. And he skippers Le Bleu from Scrum Half. Again, really just a reflection right there of the uh, inexperience that this French side have. Yeah. It, it's, he, he will look back on it, whatever happens, as the most famous moment of his, of his sporting life. Uh, and quite rightly so. He's been given this opportunity. Uh, and any sports person will think to him or herself, well, I'm here for whatever reason. I'm wearing the shirt and I'm going to give it everything. Uh, and I am looking forward to the flair which France will bring to this match because they will, given any sort of possession at all. Mind you, England don't really want the ball these days. Uh, they want to <laughs> kick it away. I'll, I'll be intrigued to see if they do the same thing against uh, a team of French tyros on, on Sunday. Uh, if they do, they may be horribly shocked from time to time. Right, let's, let's just assume that this pans out along the lines that we've discussed, which is to say that England win. England will win comfortably. We both, I think, are in the mindset that's going to happen. Yeah. But England play the same style, this brand of rugby, and then get their eighth win. I wonder, Brian, is that perhaps lulling them into a false sense of security? Because my gut feeling is, against the uber elite, the South Africans who will be back into the rugby fold very soon, New Zealand we've already discussed, you've got to be able to hold ball, the ball. Possession is king. So, yeah, I wonder, will a run of eight straight wins claiming a trophy be something that Eddie Jones will say, this is our culture, I'm doing grand, or... Will that be something that's kind of a little bit of masking the true reality of where England are at globally? Well, there have been two or three occasions in each match England have played over the last month where the ball has got to the back of a, a defensive ruck, attacking ruck. It doesn't really matter which. And the nine, whoever the nine was, whether it was Youngs, who's been in the previous play, um, <sighs> hasn't been there quick enough. Nobody has shoveled the ball out quick enough from that ruck to take advantage of a defensive mismatch. Uh, it, it just plain hasn't happened. I've seen Youngs take the ball on very quickly from, from broken play. The referee's blown his whistle for a penalty and he's been off. More often than not, he's been brought back and saying, no, hang on, I was explaining something to the rest of the side. Uh, it, we have the, most, the best back row in the world there's no question of that yeah people on the field must learn from these three guys or whoever which three guys are, are there at the time and they have to service the ball out quickly from a ruck or a mall and then make use in absolutely broken play then make use of the speed that england certainly have all over the back line uh we haven't seen elliot daly do much of anything 
if I dare say so, in, in this particular tournament. When Anthony Watson came on the field last, last week, it was like something electric had happened. Mm -hmm. His acceleration, uh, he didn't score it. But my God, just to have him around to see this, the speed with which he went from zero to as fast as possible yeah. was a quite wonderful thing. Now, uh, you've got uh, the more famous guy on the other wing uh, who, who had held himself up. He did fine. He was great against Ireland. Um, but you couldn't say he's had the absolute stellar uh, performance. So I hope that England starting with two generic wingers, I've used that word again, sorry, uh, Starting with these these two guys plus Daly at the back, uh, let's let's see some firepower, proper firepower all over, and um, and that's that's an on-field management thing, and I don't know if Mr. Farrell is paying sufficient attention to that at the moment. Again, we will see. Absolutely. Remember, he's he, he's in the spot, and I'm not. So that's it's it's nothing's impossible for the guy who doesn't have to do it. Amen. Ain't that the truth? And uh, I tell you what, I know that pretty well myself, Brian. But uh, everybody's a genius in the comfort of their own homes and their, you know, their nice little home studios and what have you. But at the end of the day, it is like catchphrase. We do have to say it as we see it. Uh, and I can't see anything other than an eighth straight victory in England to hold off the inaugural Af uh, Autumn Nations Cup. Uh, Brian, it's been phenomenal to have such a feast of rugby to discuss with your wonderful self. I look forward to enjoying your company next week for the final analysis of all these games this weekend but for now i'm gonna wish you a happy christmas brian keep well keep safe and i look forward to picking things up with you next week happy crony happy crony happy christmas tony <laughs> you take, very take good care my man all the very best